So this is kind of weird because we're only on our third episode of the season and this is already our second metal episode. Honestly, metal this year has made a huge comeback and maybe it's just the like fangirl in me, but I genuinely think it's because of Stranger Things. I think you're right. I don't really think I started seeing a whole lot about metal just generally until over the summer, like late June, early July, when season four of Stranger Things was coming out. And of course, no spoilers for the show. We're not going to give you any context for why that might be the case, but there is a reason that it might be a little bit important here. It literally makes me so happy because I've, I mean, I listen to a little bit of everything. My mom worked in radio, so I hear everything, but I've been a long fan of like the classic metalhead days. And it's so cool to see so many other people like embracing it a bit more than normal. Listen, yeah. I didn't actively listen to it until recently, but I think that's kind of working out in our favor. And I think that's why I'm really excited about this episode in particular because, I don't know, it just feels relevant, I guess. <laughs> from Mackinac to Motown, from Muskegon to Madonna, you're listening to The Musical Mitten. I'm Maggie. And I'm Bree, coming to you from Olivet College. This is your guide to all things music, all from the state of Michigan. So I think it's really important that we focus on individual artists and not bands as a whole, because I feel like we kind of separate bands and musicians out from each other. Like if we've got a solo artist from Michigan, we're more likely to cover them. Or if we have a whole band that all of them are from Michigan, we're more likely to cover them. But it's very rare, I think, that we take an artist who is just in a band who is from Michigan and we talk about them individually. I think we did that once with Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah, oh But like gosh. that was, I think about it. In right? our whole two seasons, I think that's the one time and it was radio show season, so <laughs> season one. <laughs> But no, you're right. And I find it fascinating, honestly, to talk about like a Michigan native kind of being implanted in a non-Michigan native band. It's a really cool dynamic to experience. And a lot of the time, it's not even that that was the only thing that they did. There's quite a few people who have, they've been playing music since they were kids and they were in other bands. But because this one big band took up so much of their identity, it kind of overshadows the rest of their career, I feel like. And I really do think that's the case with Jason Newstead, right? And I think that we're gonna spend this episode kind of shining light on the more shadowy aspects of those years. But Jason Newstead, who, if you're a fan of Metallica, that name might ring a bell, is from Battle Creek, Michigan. So he was born here, it's right down the road from where we are. His family was supportive of his music. His brothers were even somewhat involved and their music influenced him quite a bit. I feel like he had two older brothers and they would listen to stuff like MC5 and Ted Nugent and Kiss and Jimi Hendrix and I really think that sort of played a role with his musical identity. Oh, absolutely. And it's kind of cool that they had this like bond of vacature among one another. Like I have younger sisters, so he is the total opposite of me. I never experienced having A, a brother or B, older siblings. But I think it's really cool to like have that core bond because my mom and I definitely did do that, so. Not the same, but similar. <laughs> well, I think like they influenced him a little bit and he played guitar from a young age before switching over to playing bass. But Wikimetal kind of documents this whole journey that he went through with music and how when he found Black Sabbath, that really started him on his journey in the music industry. 
Did you know, though, totally random and unrelated, but did you know that in his earliest years, like during childhood, like his family had like a farm. And so this guy that we'll know to be very iconic in metal music actually spent his younger years like taking care of animals on a farm. And I love that because I grew up in a small farm town and then I moved to another small farm town. So it was just kind of cool. Right. And I feel like that's really interesting, too, because you would typically associate acoustic music or country music oh with yeah farm life. especially i was gonna say especially small towns like come on <laughs> that added to the fact that he became like a pretty famous heavy metal musician i think it's really interesting and not that he doesn't play acoustic music more recently he has but still very interesting beginning Speaking of beginnings, Newstead started playing guitar around the age of nine, and it wasn't until he was 14 that he switched to bass. But more interesting, he quit school three months before graduation to pursue his career in music. I mean, on one hand, like, yeah, pursue your dreams, man. Like, don't let school get in the way of that. But at the same time, three months. I know, he was so close. Three months. And I get it, like, if there was a once-in-a-lifetime thing, you gotta chase it right then and there, you can't wait even a second. But a part of me is just, like, heartbroken that he was literally so close. But in the end, it was probably kind of worth it, because part of his beginnings with music was he was playing with Flotsam and Jetsam, and of course, they're from Phoenix, but he played with them on tour in 1986 before he auditioned for Metallica, which I think is just fascinating, because Flotsam and Jetsam are still around. Yeah, he was actually there for the beginning of that band, essentially. He was in their first studio album, Doomsday for the Deceiver. And that was the album that he was touring with in 86. However, also in 1986, there was a massive tragedy for Metallica, a bus accident in Europe when they were touring the Master of Puppets mm -hmm. album. There was actually another band on tour with Metallica at the time who one of their members, Scott Ian, wrote this autobiography where he talked a bit about the night the accident happened where Cliff Burton was killed in that accident. And they'd just gotten done performing in Sweden and then they were gonna go and perform in Norway and apparently the weather was just bad. Mm. Like just super like icy. Oh geez, that's so, a setup for failure. So they left the venue separately because they like just went to get back on the road and when they got to their hotel they were kind of trying to check in and everything and then a few of the band members from Metallica came in and were like distraught and like in shock. Oh yeah understandably. Because you know they'd just been in this crash and they knew that Cliff Burton was dead. Metallica was you know still actively touring and they needed a new bassist Holy cow, like the show must go on, literally, that's intense. I couldn't imagine struggling with the loss of someone that A, I've performed with forever, but like is probably a friend, and then still just going on for the tour. Yeah, and because of that, they, they auditioned 50 bass players. Only 50. And Jason Newstead was signed. I think that. he was one of the last ones. Too. No, he was 50. Okay, I thought so. I remembered saying that I was like one of the last and I'm like, or the last, but I wasn't sure. So yeah, it was crazy. Yeah, no, he was talking on that metal show on YouTube and he was like, yeah, I was the last. It was number 50. But he was eventually signed to the band and I don't think a lot of people expected that because he was kind of a newer artist. Like there were other people who 
had tried for the position that didn't get it, who a lot of people, you know, would have expected to get it. But it went to him, and his trick, sort of, was that he learned the set list for you the Master of Puppets tour. Yes. So there's a website where you can find the average set list for a year for a band. It's setlist.fm. So the average set list in 1986 for Metallica was Battery, Master Puppets, For Whom the Bell Tolls, Welcome Home Sanitarium, Ride the Lightning, The Thing That Should Not Be, Seek and Destroy, Fade to Black, Creeping Death, and the encore was somewhere in the realm of Whiplash, Am I Evil, and Damage Inc. And of course that wasn't true for every show. Actually, the set list for the night of the accident was longer. Oh, wow. Like that's a, what I just said is about a 12 song set. And I think the, the set list from that show was 17 songs. Wow. And that's a ridiculously impressive amount because I mean, you have to think of all the energy that goes into performing even just a handful of songs. Like I, I'm sure you probably have like yeah you did musical theater and stuff and like I did band and like I think just performing even like the three or four songs that we would do for band was like tiring enough but 17 thing there were two encores that's impressive though yeah it really was and it's a fascinating set list but what Jason Newstead did was he had learned somewhere between four and six songs from the set list brought him to the audition said here are the songs that I can play and they asked him to play some of them and then they asked him to come back and play him again. Oh my gosh. Or play a different set of songs, really. But that, you know, eventually led to him joining the band. And this was, you know, 1986. They they kept going. He was touring in Europe just, you know, weeks after he auditioned to be in this major band. And then just it took off. And he was a part of Metallica for 15 years. Dang, I, I mean, I saw it. So, like, I had seen the dates, but I didn't, like, click that it was a whole 15 years. Like, that's insane. To jump ahead a little bit, in an interview he was asked if, like, at all during the process, did they realize that they were basically, like, sitting on the special, like, song back in the day. And he especially remembers going back to Sad But True. It was his favorite song of the whole project because of the weight that, like, came behind that song. And then he says that he struggled with Nothing Else Matters, but it is, like, one of their most iconic and, like, ended up being one of the you know, like everyone knows that song. But the reason it was, was a struggle for him is because it made the hairs on his neck stand up, but they ended up playing it through so many times. Like, can we make it lighter? Can we make it like creepier? Can we do this with it? That it like kind of lost its sense of feeling for him. But I just thought it was really interesting that like those two very big, like, I don't think I know too many people who know Metallica who don't know those songs. And he was a big part of both of those. Yeah, he really, he contributed to a few albums over the 15 years that he was a part of the band. I think it's four to be exact. It was mostly Load, Reload, Metallica, and, and Justice for All. This is your Point to the Mitten trivia question of the week. Last week, we asked how many covers of the Marvelettes' Please Mr. Postman are there? If you said there were 16 covers, you'd be correct. We also asked, which Motown star would you most commonly see nods to in the drag scene? And if you said the iconic Diana Ross, you would be correct. In fact, those nods to her in the drag scene inspired the song, I'm Coming Out. This week's question is, what city do we, as the musical mitten, seem to reference the most? 
If you think you know the answer, add us on Twitter at TheMusicalMI, and we'll be back next week with the answer and a shout out for who got it right. You've been listening to The Musical Mitten. I'm Maggie. And I'm Bree. If you've been with us since the beginning, you know that we started as a radio show on WOCR 89.1 The One, Olivet College. Our goal when we started was to share all of the incredible talent from across the state of Michigan, past and present. Now we've been able to talk to artists from all over the state and share their stories with you. If you have any suggestions for who we talk about in the future, fill out the form on our website, themusicalmitten.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. So what you just said is quite an impressive accomplishment. But the thing is, in the 15 years that he was performing with Metallica and the time that he was producing with Metallica and you know, writing these incredible things, he wasn't really appreciated in the capacity that he should have been. Oh yeah, absolutely. This has even been acknowledged by James Hatfield that they didn't really process Cliff Burton's death well. Well, like I said, it was pretty traumatic. We were ironically talking about this in class, one of my classes today, that like, it doesn't matter how prepared you think you are and it doesn't matter like how well you think you are at handling grief if you don't do it correctly it will catch up to you and it will just catch you off guard and it'll come however it's gonna come and you don't get to pick (laughs) unless you deal with it like asap it's not gonna happen and for this band unfortunately they didn't get to deal with it asap they had to continue their tour they had to find a replacement they there were all these obstacles to being able to grieve that i think that it did kind of perpetuate that term they needed to grieve. So they took it out on him a bit just because he was in that bassist position. And he wasn't their bassist, you know, like... He was their bassist, but he wasn't their bassist. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) No, and I think that's really unfortunate because he is incredibly talented and when he left in 2001, the band essentially fell apart. And it wasn't his last notable thing either like he still went on to do a bunch of really impressive things that we'll talk about more later but it's unfortunate there have been many interviews in the past 20 years as for how that affected the band and it was quite negative i feel like right because oh, yeah, absolutely. like james hatfield ended up going into rehab and the band just kind of broke down without him and and, you know, they had to find this new bassist who came in the form of Robert Trujillo, which is ironic, and we'll get to that, why it's ironic in a few minutes here. But really after they left, they really felt his impact. And they realized, like, we had a really good thing. And because they didn't support him, because they took some of their grief out on him, it just it wasn't sustainable. And he never regretted leaving either. He said that time and time again. Yeah, I was going to say, multiple of the interviews that I've checked out says that he has zero regrets about having left. And I, that kind of saddens me because it just shows like how toxic that grieving process ended up becoming. But also it makes me happy because, you know, you don't want someone to walk away and feel like they have made a big mistake in their life. Especially someone like this where they've brought so much talent in various aspects of this genre specifically even. What I really think is interesting though is that he doesn't regret leaving the band but he also didn't really regret performing with them either. Like he was very... He's still proud of the work he did with them. 
No, because that's exactly right. And he's clearly had this impact, but leaving the band gave him this opportunity to do so many other things. And I think that was also a big part of him leaving as well, was that he needed to be more creative and that he was kind of being smothered almost by Metallica. Yeah, actually, that does bring up this point that I ended up reading was that he actually wanted to take a year-long hiatus to work on like the side project he had called Echo Brain. And basically, the other band members, specifically James Hetfield, rejected this idea. And so that's a big part of why he chose to walk away from the band, because he's like, well, I'm going to do it anyway, with or without you guys. Well, that and he'd suffered an injury right around that same time, and he just really needed that break. And they were just going to keep making him perform. And he was quoted saying that, like, he couldn't physically perform at the level that he had been performing. So, like, it was, it had taken a toll. Like, a lot of people don't really think about the physicality of playing an instrument. I know it seems like, I don't know, you see those people doing, like, crazy guitar tricks. But, like, you usually think of basses as kind of, like, standing off to the side, occasionally walking around the stage, maybe. But, like... It takes a lot out of your arms. And so to have a severe shoulder injury really prohibits that talent that he had had. And so not only do I think he like couldn't physically keep up, but like maybe it had a mental impact on him as well. Like to know that he couldn't perform as well. Like that would really suck. There's this quote in iHeartRadio interview that was done with Lars Ulrich that basically said he was never really treated equally in the band and he didn't get to get his creativity out there. So being able to work on Echo Brain was definitely, you know, an outlet for that, right? Mm -hmm. And just him being able to do that, even though he inevitably had to break from Metallica, was certainly needed, I would say. Mm -hmm. It was like a creative awakening, for lack of a better description there. But that creativity and being able to branch out on his own had led to other opportunities. Right, he got to work with a few different groups after that, and like including Voivod, and he got to work with Ozzy Osbourne, which I can imagine having been a Black Sabbath fan when he was a kid would have been an amazing opportunity, right? Oh my gosh, and Ozzy loved him. So according to Louder Sound, Ozzy, to go back a little bit, he was about 40 when he started playing for Ozzy. But Ozzy thought that he was literally 26 because of the way that he would come in, like, bouncing off the walls. Like, high energy, ready to go. And so it was really funny because a lot of the time he had compared him to a younger geezer. But at the time, the performer geezer was also about 40 years old. So they weren't even that much younger. Like, they were almost the same exact age. But because obviously he was convinced that he was, like, 20-something. So I just thought that was really interesting. And then, yeah, like, not only is he probably a huge fan, but Ozzy was a fan back. That's gotta be, like, a big deal. Like, one of your idols being a fan of you. Like, I can't even imagine what kind of reaction you would have to that, right? I would probably pass out. <laughs> oh, totally. For sure. But also, the irony in this is the reason that he joined Ozzy Osbourne was because when Robert Trujillo joined Metallica, <laughs> they then needed a new bassist being Jason Newstead. So Close they replaced circle. each other. Small worlds. <laughs> And they even got to play together in 2009 when Metallica was mm -hmm. inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland, Ohio. And it was the first time they'd gotten to play together with Metallica, which I think is super neat. <laughs> the two bases together at last. But it was really cool because he was inducted as a member of Metallica also, which is kind of neat. Yeah. Well-deserved. 
Yeah, too. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and this was back in 2009 that they were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But, you know, he got to perform with them one more time. There have been rumors over the years that, like, he's going to go back to Metallica. Like, that he's going to rejoin the band. And I think it's really interesting that, like, you know, he never regretted leaving the band, but there's still these rumors that, like, he would go back and he denied those rumors. I was gonna say, his wife denied it too, just a lot of it being because of his injury, though, not because of ill will towards one another. He did mention in a quote from earlier this year that if Lars Ulrich wanted to play with him again, he would. Which is pretty cool. And I think that, like, you know, the dedication is still there. Like, they're still friends and they're still able to, like, play music with each other, even if all of these things have happened and, you know, he's in a different place now, like once he recovered from his shoulder injury and everything that went down during that time period. And, you know, he had to deal with so much adversity from this band, from this injury, from dealing with a drug habit, from just all of these horrible things where the odds were kind of stacked against him and is still like, he came back, he was able to start his Chop House band, play more acoustic music. I think you said something about an art career earlier. Yeah, so it was part of his recovery process is that he found the solace in painting specifically. And so he's turned probably a num like a good amount of original artworks in the last half decade. And I think that's really cool because he went from this crazy emotional music and instead of music, he just channeled it into colorful paintings, which is just as cool. Yeah, his girlfriend kind of left him with art supplies for however many hours. And... <laughs> which I love because, I don't know, maybe I'm just a weirdo, but I think that art in any form is really healing for mental health especially. Art is so versatile. Like you can start with music, you can start with guitar, you can move to bass, you can be involved with heavy metal or acoustics or with painting or with photography or all these different things. and it's still art and it's still putting a piece of your soul into something. And that's so valuable. My favorite part is that you don't even have to be good at it to benefit from it. I don't know. I actually think that being bad at it is part of what makes it so healing for people. It just lets you hash out all of that ugly and whatever feelings that you have and make something that's like tangible. And yeah, it might not be pretty, but it's real. I don't know how else to explain that, but it's just how I feel. Yeah, no, and you have to start somewhere. That's a big part of it. You have to start somewhere. And who knows, you might even end up somewhere incredible at the end of it all. This has been The Musical Mitten, where we bring you all things music from Michigan. Check out our Instagram and Twitter at The Musical MI for any announcements, events, and more. All of our past episodes, radio show, and podcast are on our website at themusicalmitten.com. Again, that's T-H-E-M-U-S-I-C-A-L-M-I-T-T-E-N dot C-O-M. Check for updates in all those places or keep listening in for weekly episodes. We'll be back next week.